that we had a little malfunction with the tape player, so uh, we didn't tape this morning. But Sister Valerie has it taped, all right? Sister Valerie, God bless you. <clears throat> Praise God. Brother Jeff, would you give her a hug for all of us? Would you do that? All right. <clears throat> That's from all of us, Sister Valerie. Praise God. So I will be I will be repeating some things that I stated this morning, but we will have to hasten along here in order to finish this. I'm speaking on the subject, discipline and the fear of God. Discipline and the fear of God. And whenever I state that, I probably give away the punchline of the message. But nevertheless, I feel that it is necessary to state this title. Deuteronomy 6. And we'll read verse 1 and 2, but we're going to back up to chapter 5, all right? Back up to chapter 5. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5, verse 33, and I stated this morning, I will repeat this. I do appreciate the fact that our Bible has been canonized, and we have chapters and verses, and that is placed in the order in which it's placed, but in the original, the numbers of the Scriptures were not there, and also the chapters were not there. And sometimes this does, however, create a mindset for us, because we think that chapter 6 has no real bearing on chapter 5, but uh, sometimes you have to back up a chapter. Just like if you're reading a book, you get to a chapter, sometimes you have to back up if you start in the middle of the book to find out what the story is all about. So I want to read verse 33 of chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded you to, uh, commanded, uh, to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, Thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. And God bless you. You may be seated. And then we turn to Psalm 34, and we want to read verse 11. So, if you would turn there with me, Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, I have had several people of late to come and talk to me, and not only from our assembly, but also from other assemblies, uh, pastors asking questions. You know, we always, when we get together as pastors, we discuss things. And one big subject that keeps coming up is that it appears that People no longer 
fear God. And I think if you search in the Scripture, you will find that that uh, is one of the prophecies concerning the latter days. And certainly we live in the last days. But the question that came to me is this. I'm talking about one that I ask myself. If I were given the responsibility to teach people how to fear God, where would I start? Uh, Where would I start? And for you people who are here this morning, this may be a little redundant, but I think that you understand how necessary it is that I go back over a few of these things. Where would I start? Where do you start? It appears that certain people do have a respect or a fear. When we say fear, we're not talking about being afraid as the fear of emotion is, but we're talking about showing a respect for God, uh, a reverential respect or fear. So where would we start? How, how would we start? Well, you know, there, there's just certain things that, that you can't tell yourself uh, a good number of times to, to do, and, and you just automatically do it. Uh, if you have met uh, someone that you're indecisive about, and you are considering perhaps uh, marrying this person, but maybe there is just a, a lack of love there, you can't just tell yourself, now you must love, you must love, you must love, and it just automatically comes. That's just not how it comes. And, of course, you've heard of this love at first sight. There are just certain things that attract you and appeal to you. And people who fall in love, generally speaking, fall in love with their own ideas as opposed to the person. But nevertheless, because they feel this person fits the ideals that they have, and uh, after they get to know the person, they find out that she or he indeed does. It seems to come a little easier. But love, for the most part, is a growing relationship, something that takes place over a given length of time. And some of the strongest marriages on this planet have been marriages that that took place after a somewhat working relationship between two people occurred and they just grew into a relationship of caring and loving. Now, you're going to find that most things in life are that way. You just don't hear something that changes you once and for all. And there may be certain things about yourself that you may dislike uh, prerequisite for a brighter tomorrow and for change is a tinge of dissatisfaction with the present. And so because Christians are very mindful of personalities and such that they feel that should be attractive for the purpose of winning the loss of the Lord, some of those changes, however, come over a period of time. I developed the little formula that I give to all of our people going into Christian stewardship 
concerning conversion and also spiritual growth, and that is that you must first change your, or you must first gain knowledge, pardon me, that changes your attitude, that changes your action. And this is how you are converted. In other words, you can't be converted to something that you know nothing about. So as a result, you must gain knowledge. The Bible says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. In other words, you can't come to God without believing in the existence of God. So you must gain knowledge about God or concerning God in order to be converted. Conviction that falls upon the heart of a man falls most uh, readily when he has an attitude change about the knowledge that he has received. And if his attitude is right, and let me tell you, attitude is really the name of the game. And while I may be able tonight to step on a lot of toes and speak in a negative sense about a lot of what I consider violations of, uh, uh, of individual rights and such that people have, I certainly want to commend Calvary Gospel Church and all of you fine people for your excellent attitude. I have... Preachers and saints from all over that, that tell me, Brother Grant, I saw some of your people at conference, at the prayer conference, at camp. Our young people have traveled from city to city with our sports teams. Our, our quizzers have, have traveled with Brother Hicks. And, and, and repeatedly, uh, I, I get this from people, that they appreciate most of all the attitude of the saints at Calvary Gospel Church. Now, you see, I believe the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing of sunder soul and spirit into the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, you see, when God's Word is preached and taught, and I'm certainly not taking credit for that, even though I do preach and teach here, we have other people who, who do the same, and we're taught in classrooms and on a Sunday morning, there are probably 45 or 50 teachers teaching at one time. With eager hearts, people hear the Word of the Lord. And when you hear that, God's Word has a way of changing you. And because God's Word is inseparable from you, you take on His attitude. This is the reason why that the Bible speaks of Christians as being the body of Christ. We become bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh simply because that we unite ourselves with the Word of God. So preaching and teaching has a way of taking on personality. It has a way of taking on attitude according to what is preached and taught. Now, I would say that if I stood behind this pulpit and I was totally negative every time I stood here, and judgmental every time I stood here, and critical every time I stood behind this pulpit, for the most part, in a period of time, I could change your attitude so that all of you would be critical and judgmental, and consequently people would not be bragging on you anymore. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Now... I, I think that it's important for me to, 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 to say these things because, you see, when I pose this question, if I were to teach people to fear God, where would I start? Well, naturally, I'm going to look in the Scripture and see if there, maybe 
in in some of these subjects that 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 deal with this, if there, maybe there is a key, everything's not just pointed out in the scripture so that you can just read it and rarely understand it. Some things are hid from the minds of people who are insincere. But sincere people will always search out the truth of any matter. Now, I have long believed that the setting of the stage or the development of, a, of, uh, uh, of an atmosphere concerning anything that you're trying to accomplish is very, very important. Uh, for an example, if, if Sister uh, Moore, when she directed the choir tonight, if, if she did not know who was going to sing the special in the choir and, and, and such, and she didn't know where the mics were going to be or who was going to show up, uh, needless to say that we would just have a, uh, a pandemonious mess when she got up here. <clears throat> and, and I've seen some of that, not out of our choir, but, but you know, I, I've seen some of that. Uh, so what she tries to do is to get everybody here and prayerfully enter into a time of worship. Not just a time of practice, but a time of worship in which hearts are prepared to do their very best for the Lord. So as a result that when they are singing, that they will be a blessing for you. For the most part, she has set the stage or created an atmosphere in which that uh, this choir, along with herself, can minister to people. So atmosphere is very important. I made the statement this morning, when people come into the house of God, if you expect people to repent of their sins, there must be an atmosphere that's conducive to that. And I might add this, that as far as I can see in the Scripture, it is, it is impossible to separate a certain words from repentance, such as submission and humility, you know, it is very, very hard to separate those from repentance. While normally we think about repentance as being a death, but isn't it in the death that we find humility? The Bible says that the Lord, being obedient, humbled Himself even to the death of the cross. And so it was in His humility that He became willing to die for us. But when people get lifted up in pride, and when there is a display of human talents only, and, and the human talent is the most uh, focused part of, of any particular uh, thing that we're doing, what happens is that people may go away saying, I really enjoyed that, but you don't have nearly as many conversions. But when people with sincere hearts, people who are glad to see visitors, people who are friendly, people who are kind and people who are caring, that creates an atmosphere in which people can repent. But also, I might say, that that, uh, that is also an atmosphere in which the sinner readily fears or respects God. It, 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 it is kind of strange the way it works, but then when you look in the Scripture concerning some of these uh, scriptures that deal with this subject about the fear of the Lord, 
needless to say, you come up with that conclusion. Proverbs 1, verse 7. We'll just consider a few scriptures here. Proverbs 1, 7. All right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. All right, that's Proverbs 1, 7, and 8. Then Job 28, verse 28. Job 28, verse 28. And unto man he said, Behold, I fear the Lord. That is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. I talked about conversion. That is knowledge, attitude, and action. In the Old Testament, it was knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom sometimes are are interchanged in uh and, and, and mean the same. Not in every case, but in many cases. And then we go to Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. And then Proverbs 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The Scripture says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So, what what the Scripture is saying, if you read the, the verses around it, it always talks about instruction, receiving instruction, the promises of the Lord relative to His commandments and such. Now, I back up just one verse to give you an example in the last one that I read. That is Proverbs 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Now, the first commandment with promise... In the Bible, and this is spoken of in, in the book of Ephesians, the first commandment of the promise is to honor your father and your mother. That's the first commandment of the promise. Why? That all may go well with thee, and that thy days may be long on the earth. So I'm wondering, as we look at this, if maybe there is a connection between personal discipline and the fear of the Lord. In other words, could it be that, that we as Americans that, that enjoy freedom and democracy, that we stress the rights of individuals to the point that we pretty much just rule out a, a, a greater thing that democracy and freedom actually brings to us, and that is our relationship with God? You see, you can be totally right... And, and yet be wrong. And yet you can have a right, and yet not be right. See, America gives you the right. And I explained this in one of our conferences once. And I, uh, you know, I believe that there's no greater country than America to live in. And I certainly appreciate democracy. If you don't like politics, and we're going into that time in which politics is talked about, all you have to do is go to one of these countries where they don't have politics. See how you like that? Where they don't have democracy. Where they don't have, you know, individual rights. But now here's, here's my whole point. 
that, that in America, I am guaranteed liberty and freedom. And people have given their life for that. But the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In other words, in Christ, there is liberty. Now, you see, the, the liberty that I receive in Christ not only allows me to make decisions, but it allows me to make right decisions. The United States of America and the flag represents individual rights. But under that banner of the flag, you also have the right to be wrong. But Calvary and the Holy Spirit and the cross ensures you that if you live according to it, that you not only make decisions, but you make correct decisions based upon integrity and character. And you see, that is the difference. So I might be, I may have the right as an American, but just be dead wrong in what I do. But Calvary assures me of making correct decisions if, if I make those in the light of what Calvary represents, and that is death. Now you may say death, I'm talking about death to myself. Now that's what repentance is all about. And there can be no personal discipline without a death. Now, when I say a personal discipline, you may say, well, what about these people that don't know God that are disciplining themselves for sports events and such? Well, there's a personal death that occurs there that doesn't altogether give glory to the cross. But yet, we also know that when we raise our hand to fast, that nothing will crucify human flesh faster than... than Fasting. It will do that. It just, it just totally crucifies human flesh. And you find, you will find in the scripture that none of the commandments of God go against or are destructive to the human flesh. Now when we say go against, uh, naturally it kills fleshly desires, but at the same time, it brings about a very healthy individual. Now, when we talk about discipline, I, I think that it's just, it's just really necessary. I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking to all of you about this business about climate, but I've got to move on. Otherwise, I'll end up just repeating my morning message, and I'll get no further than that. But uh, the fear of God, the fear of man... Uh, respect of God, respect of man, love for God and love for man cannot be separated. Now let me, let me just, Jesus said that how can you say that you love God that you have not seen and yet despise or hate or not love your brother that you have seen? He said, now if you say that you do, you are just not telling the truth. Why? Because I am made in the image of God and the likeness of God, and you are also, and you have received the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Now, that doesn't mean that I like everything that you do. doesn't mean I like everything that you say. But love is deeper than that. Just to get hung up on some little old something that you don't like about somebody's personality. It, you know, love, love goes a lot deeper than that. Now... In other words, respect for God starts with respect for your fellow man. 
Now, I'm going to go into this a little bit further. Respect for God starts with your respect for your fellow man. And then, on the other hand, respect for God enhances respect for your fellow man. In which you can't separate the two. You know, it's like the old proverbial question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, we know that it takes an egg to make a chicken, but it takes a chicken to make an egg. However, we that believe in creation, we know the answer to that. All right, now, let me just, uh, let me, let me just back up a little bit then. We say, well, it's also true that God's love will put a love for man in our heart. But at the same time, if we exercise our love for each other and show this proper respect for each other, we will in turn love God more. Now, we, we see, however, that, that in, in the United States of America, in which individual rights have been stressed so much, and please, I, I don't want anybody to take this out of context. I, I, I believe in the American way of life. And I appreciate everything that, that, that our country has done for all people, regardless of, of where they came from, from Ireland, like my folks came from, from the, uh, Native American Indians who were here, from those who came across on on various uh, ships and boats from various countries, the the people who are are even coming into this country illegally. I think that that all of us as as, as Americans that there should be a particular attitude displayed toward them, and more specifically from the church, because we know that we have a mission that far exceeds. Stars and stripes. It has to do with the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ and stars placed in the heavenly crown when we get to the other side. But uh, what we are seeing is that there is a decline in, 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 in discipline, personal discipline, here uh, in the United States of America. And you study, you study very carefully in history and you will find that that uh, there have been many, many nations that have fallen because of a lack of personal discipline. Study about the Roman Empire, as great as it is, conquering the whole world. Uh, historians say that the reason why that, that Rome fell was the fact that uh, they were, over a period of time there was a breakdown in personal discipline so that the people began to just do what they wanted to do. So the stars and the stripes give me a liberty to do what I want to do, but that doesn't mean that it's healthy, and it doesn't mean that it's right, and it doesn't mean that it will always ensure us of having liberty. Proper and wise decisions must be made in order for the United States of America to survive. And if I had the monumental task of going among Americans at large and teaching them what they need to do to fear God. And any nation that doesn't fear God, the Bible prophesies the fall of it. The first thing that I would start with, I would start with personal discipline. That's what I would start with. And by that I mean self-control. I cannot do everything I want to do. I can't go every place I want to go. And, and you know, there are a lot of Christians that are teaching this subject of grace and mercy. And I appreciate the song that was sung tonight. We just don't want to take that out of context. Because some people just totally lose their brains 
when they do this. In other words, the, the thing that we must understand is that when we interpret God's law and the seriousness concerning His law, we always interpret that according to the level of fleshly activities that we're involved in. Now, you can't dispute that. This is the reason why the people come around and say, Oh, what's wrong with this, Pastor Grant? What's wrong with that? And, of course, we know full well that the Bible says the carnal mind cannot know the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you can talk until you're just blue in the face to some people about certain things, and they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because there's no personal discipline. So I want to talk about personal discipline just for a moment. Romans 1, you don't have to turn there. But as you know, uh, here, here the Bible speaks of people that knew God. It, it speaks of the Gentile world that went into total apostasy. Disbelief. They became reprobates. Why did they do that? Because they gave themselves over to the flesh. In other words, there was no personal discipline involved in, in their their, their life. So as a result, they, they, they reached the point in which they defiled, they were involved in perversion, homosexual activities. And perversion is the final stage of human iniquity just before death. This is the reason why that, that, that you find serial killers like Ted Bundy b- before he he goes on this rampage to kill all of these 50 or 60 or how many people, that women that he killed and raped. What happened? He went into this perverted pornographic stuff that he went into. The thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. And discipline has to be the name of the game when liberty is practiced on the level in which we practice it, both in the United States of America and also that which we feel in the Spirit of God here at Calvary Gospel Church. Have you ever been in an atmosphere where you felt more liberated than here? I'll say if you have been, it's simply because you didn't really get in the Spirit like you should have when we were worshiping tonight. People were dancing, some were running. Some of you ran tonight around the church for the first time in a long, 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 long time. And should I add a little addendum to that? Some of you should have been running with them. Not that I think running is the key, but I want you to feel that liberty. I want you to feel that expression. But at the same time, the Bible says that there is a balance between liberty and responsibility. To whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And any society that takes more liberty than they bear responsibilities, they end up in a spoiled state. The prisons are full of people that took more liberty than they were willing to bear responsibilities. And that's the reason why that the uh, the, the system is just, just full of criminals. So, uh, in Romans 1, people became perverted. And then, of course, after a while, uh, they broke the commandments of God. Now, the Bible says, in, in verse 3 of, of chapter 3 of Romans, uh, 
and verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, that came about just before death occurred to this uh, people. There is no fear of God. And I don't think I have ever seen a nation in which we have so many people that are so inconsiderate of everything. I mean, you just name it. We have trouble here at Calvary Gospel Church because uh, we, we just have people that, well, they just don't respect or, or anything. I got the little story this morning. I'll not tell it again tonight. But, but uh, I, I'm really amazed how, how many children, parents can tell them to do something. They, they, no, they, they just don't. Now, there is a, my generation. Now, you got to understand, my generation, from my generation uh, until uh, the next generation, 10, 15 years younger, there was a real breakdown in discipline and a breakdown in respect. Let me just go through some of this. And, and I'm going to point out something that I think is very, very important. Now, you notice every time the Bible says, fear the Lord, then it talks about keeping His commandments. And then it talks about wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Now, <clears throat> you know, I used to work hard in the fields. I know what it was like to, to come in just grubby and everything. My grandmother... Uh, she usually stayed home and she did all the cooking and such. So I'd come in with dirty hands and such. And we'd wash out on the back porch. We just had a, a bench and there was a wash pan there made out of metal. And, and then, of course, there was a wash bucket and a dipper hanging on a nail. And over here there was a little mirror and there was a hole in the mirror. And it was hung over a nail that was on, on, one, of the, on one of the posts. And there's one thing that you always did. Always. The first thing you did when you got home, you always washed your hands. I mean, you washed them, and you washed them good. Because if you didn't have your hands washed good, you just didn't eat at the table. I mean, you had to wash your hands. Sometimes I'd have to take a nail or something. I, you know, I, I always wore these coveralls, and sometimes the buckles would come off. And I always had a nail. I'd put a nail. I'd stick it through there and put a nail through there. And uh, so, some of you don't know what that's all about, but... I'd take that nail and I'd clean my fingernails because if I didn't clean my fingernails, I went inside. My grandmother wouldn't let me eat. She said, now look, son, you got, you got an option. If you're going to eat this table, you got to have clean hands. All right. Uh, and so you had to... Another thing you did, that you pulled your hat, hat off or cap off and you hung it on a nail. Now, when I was a kid, let me tell you, men never went in a public place, any place, with their hat on. Now, you didn't do that. I mean, that was a no-no. And if you accidentally went into the courthouse or the bank or someplace and you didn't remove your hat, did you know there was always somebody behind you that would say, Sir, you have your hat on. You may say, Oh, what difference does it matter? You wait till I finish tonight, okay? <clears throat> so, so really what you're doing, you, you are learning something that is extremely important because to take your hat off in a public place showed your respect for that place. And, and another thing we always had to do, we had to go to that little mirror that was hung on that nail, and we had to, we had to comb our hair. And you always went to the table uh, with, with your hair combed. I remember one time that I had been, been involved in, and, and I had been actually dressing some chickens. We, we raised chickens, and I had 100 chickens that I had killed that day, and I was dressing them, and we, you know, we gave them away, and we put them in the freezer, and we did everything. We canned them, and, 
You know, we, we did a lot of things. But I went to the table one day, and I was sitting there. And, and, and so all of a sudden, my dad, he kind of turned and said, Son, did you wash your hands? Well, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's pretty hard to get all that odor off of you. So I just simply said, uh, Yes, I did. Well, he didn't like the tone. And he looked at me and said, Oh, I'm not for sure you washed him good enough. Now, if he didn't like your tone, he was going to question that. He's not going to let you buy with that, okay? He said, uh, I think maybe you should go wash him again. And I just kind of, and he said, Furthermore, you didn't comb your hair. And I said, Yes, I did. He said, What would you comb with your hands? And so I was, I was up, you know, good size. I was old enough to, to dress the chickens, you know. And, and I'm here to tell you, I got just a little bit too smart. And before I knew what had happened, I was in the floor. And the second thing that happened to me, I was back on the back porch. And so then I sat out there and I pouted for a while. And he came out there. This is what he told me. He said, son, now you didn't have to talk that way. He said, I may have been in wrong, but nevertheless, that's beside the point. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to stay out here five more minutes, don't you dare come in. And remember this. You won't get a snack in the afternoon, and you'll go to bed hungry tonight. Now, you straighten your act up, and you come in here. If you're big enough to talk to me that way, you're big enough to act like a man. Don't you act like some kind of a spoiled brat. My friend, I combed my hair and I washed my hands and I got in there. Food may have been the motive, but nevertheless, I got in there. <clears throat> and you remember the old preachers, if they, caught, if they caught you chewing gum or talking or writing notes or something, they just stopped everything. And, you know, say, hey, go spit that gum out. I remember one preacher just came back and said, spit that gun out. He had, had a hanky or something in his hand. And, and somebody said, I wasn't, I wasn't chewing gum. Well, what had happened, they had swallowed it. They said, yes, you were chewing gum. Now, you may have swallowed that, but you were chewing gum. Now, now I know that what I'm saying would rub against the grain with a lot of people. And what I'm saying here, that, that you know, if I testified in a court of law concerning all this, you know what would happen to me? They'd say, oh, there's something drastically wrong. But all you have to do, my friends, is look around and find out what is happening to America. And you know, but but see, it wasn't just in the home. It was, it, it was, it was also at school. When I went to school, the first thing that happened, we bowed our heads for prayer. Now that's back when they made you pray. It wasn't just a quiet time. They said we pray, and then we sang choruses. We had a worship time, a devotion. The first time I've ever heard in my life the chorus, "Do Lord, Oh Do Lord." How many of you know that? I sung it in public school in the first grade. I never heard that. There was a little girl in our class that got up and sung that. Do Lord, oh do Lord. And then we sung the old time religion. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. And then you know what we... Then, then after it was over, we had to put our hands down. And the teacher came by and looked at your fingernails. 
And then she looked in your ears to make sure you'd washed your ears. I'm serious with you. And then she pulled your collar back. I'm telling you the truth. And then when we went places with the teacher, she always was in the front of the line, and we all had to follow her. You know, we'd just march along like little soldiers. You can say whatever you want to, but listen, I listen to enough radio talk shows that I know what I'm talking about. I just heard the other day from the Navy a commanding officer that was stating, I wish we had our old days back. When people came in the armed services, they knew who was in charge. And they listened to everybody who was in charge because we had a good Navy. But now it's different. Our men are not disciplined. You try to work them hard, they don't like that. You try to get them to dress right, they don't like that. And so they whine and they complain about everything. Now... Basically, what I'm saying is that that self-control has a bearing on your relationship with God. Now, you may not understand this until I finish all of this up. But a person who lacks personal discipline, listen to me, will have a hard time following the commandments of God. They develop in complainers and whiners and people that are always saying, Why? To everything in the Bible. All the way from prayer time to holiness standards. Don't understand this. Why? What do we have to do? What bearing does this have to do on me going to heaven? Now, isn't it strange in the Bible that the Bible always couples this along with the fear of God? Following His commandments? And I notice some of you, this is a turn off. It's a, it's, it's one of the, and, and I'm not trusted. That our children understand, uh, you know, that they say, oh, Brother Grant's up there harping again about following mom and dad's advice. Listen, I didn't like it, but I did it. You don't like it, but you know what's going to happen? One of these days you're going to be in the driver's seat and your kids are not going to like it either. I'm here to tell you they won't like it any more than you like it. And you're going to be coming around and say, what's wrong with this younger generation, Brother Grant? I can't get them to do a thing. I've lived long enough to, to know that some of you who were children, who now have your children, that you understand what I'm talking about. And then we say, how come? How come we got so many divorces and marriages? And remarriages. Let me tell you how come we got so many divorces and remarriages. Because for the most part, people don't respect each other. And they don't know how to get along with each other. And consequently, because of this, immorality is involved in many marriages because people don't fear God. And my friend, you're not going to be able to separate respect for your fellow man with respect and fear of God. You cannot separate it. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, and I'll, I'll be going back to some of these, is ethics. First discipline, now ethics. What is ethics? Ethics is a set of standards or conduct between people. All right? Now, <clears throat> the basic rule of thumb for all conduct between your fellow man is found in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 12 
In the old days, it used to be in the school, it's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus put it this way in Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, <clears throat> if you want to know how to treat your wife, if you want to know how to treat your husband, if you want to know how to treat your fellow man, if you want to know how to treat your employer or your employee, if you want to know how to treat your neighbor, if you want to know how to treat any person, it makes no difference what age you are, whether you're in the first grade, the ninth grade, twelfth grade, freshman in college or senior in college, or an executive vice president of a bank or the president of the bank. It makes no difference if you want to be successful in life, you must understand that everybody needs to be treated by you just like you would like to be treated by them. Now, this cannot take place without a lot of death to self. It, it can't. It, it just simply can't. So ethics is a set of standards or conduct between people. Quite often I have people, they, they come in, they, have, they pose questions. Now, I am not a psychologist. I don't claim to be a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't claim to be. I don't know that much about human nature. But, but I know the Bible. And the first thing I pose to them, have you looked in the Scripture? And what is your responsibility to your brother? You heard me tell this story, some of you. Let me tell it again. this past week. So I wrote this man and told this man, you owe me an apology. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if your brother has transgressed against you, you go to him. Don't, ex- don't sit there and wait for him to come to you. You go to him. And then if you bring your gift to the altar... And you feel that your brother has ought against you, perhaps for something you've done, you go to him. The Bible was not written to your brother. The Bible was written to you. And any time you put yourself so on the defense that you put your brother in the driver's seat and you demand excellent conduct out of him without rendering it, it will not work. The Bible was not written to Calvary Gospel Church. The Bible was not written to Sister Grant. The Bible was not written to Charlie Smith. The Bible was not written to Jane Brazeman. The Bible was not written to Kevin Brown. The Bible was not written to Don Moran. The Bible was not written, no, my friend, not to you. The Bible was written to me. And I should never interpret the Bible to be your book. It's my book. It's my code of ethics. It's how I'm supposed to live. It's the conduct that I am supposed to express. And you will find out that when I pinpoint myself and put myself in the driver's seat, that the problems I am involved in, I should never make excuse for those problems. Where I have been done wrong, I should never make excuse and say, somebody else caused this, my friend. I sit in the driver's seat. The Bible's written to me. And so as a result, 
I should always express myself to my fellow man exactly like I would want him to express himself to me. You will find out if you do that, much love and much compassion will come to your heart. Even when you've done something wrong, my friend, quite often I have to deal with some things, you know, arbitrate problems, mediate in situations. And I always try to look at both sides of the story. The book of Proverbs says only a fool will judge a matter before he seeks it out. This is the reason why if you have a close friend that comes and confides some negative thing about somebody else in the church, the best thing for you to do is put your heart in neutral. Because if you are not in a position to hear both sides, don't you dare, not even in your own mind, pass judgment on it. It is most unwise. And you'll find that everything you pass judgment on, it alters your behavior toward toward that person. Have you ever been talking about somebody and they walked up behind you and you didn't know it? Now that's happened to everybody, including myself, several times. Now, all of a sudden, because they're right behind, and I've been saying these negative things, I'm supposed to turn around and act as if nothing happened. Oh, how are you? And they come and say, oh, it's so good to see you. It's amazing, isn't it, how God seems to lower up the situation where you're supposed to say, oh, and it's good to see you. (laughs) And you know if you say it, that you're most hypocritical. That's the last person in the world you want to see. That's the last individual on the planet earth that you want to appear. It's not good to see them. They're not the good news. They're the bad news. Why did you come up when I'm saying this? And they're saying it's so good to see you, Pastor Grant. And I'm, I'm forced to lie. I am, I'm forced to say, well, it's, it's, if I don't say it, what are they going to think? So you see, when, when you're forced to pass judgment on situations, and most people cannot hear things without passing judgment, it takes a lot of experience. This is the reason why the Bible says, If your brother has fallen, let he that is spiritual restore such a one, lest he fall into the snare or the temptation that his brother's fallen into. Why? Because you always take sides with a man when you only hear one side of the story. And let me tell you, it is most difficult, it is most difficult to treat a person according to Scripture unless you're able to ask yourself this one all-important question that Jesus asked. Are you willing to treat everybody, even when they've done wrong, exactly the way you'd like to be treated, even when you've done wrong? You know, if I've done something wrong, I need to know about it. But please don't crucify me. Please don't trample over me. Please don't spear my name. Please don't assassinate my character. If I've done something wrong, let me know about it. But please, come to me alone and talk to me. And let's solve the thing. So we can get on with life. Why? Because I'm made in the image and the likeness of God, and you're made in the image of the likeness of God. We are all God's people. So if I'm ethical, the only way that I can be 
is to treat everybody like I would like to be treated. And isn't it amazing the people that are the most judgmental are the most sensitive? Have you ever noticed that? Some of the most judgmental people I know of, you can't, you can't say one thing, they just fall apart. I remember one time, an individual just, yak, 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 yak. every time I got around, yak, 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 yak. and I thought, well, I've had enough of this, yak, 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 yak. so what I need to do, because I'm the pastor, and it was always about somebody else, I just need to talk to them. I said, now hold it just a minute. Now, I preached 13 weeks in our church on the Sermon on the Mount, and I really do enjoy your company, and I enjoy being here, but you know, I like to practice what I'm preaching. Let's tonight, for discipline's sake, find someone that we really love, and let's talk about them. Now, that may be pretty hard, I was thinking in my mind. But, but nevertheless, let's just do that. Let's pray. And, and this individual just, I mean, you talking about pouting, getting mad. Huh, I've never had anybody talk to me like that. I was trying to be nice. You know? You know, it, 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 it's like, and, and this, I, I, will, I will say this about... I don't like, this is not pick on pastor night, you know, where I'm picking on others. I, I'm, I'm a pastor. But any pastor that always has to get up and say, look, you do this because I'm the pastor. You listen, and this is also true of husband. You do this because I'm the head of this household. And the, and the mothers that are always saying, you do this because I'm mom. <clears throat> yep, 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 yep. Hallelujah. Come on, Armenti. Get with the program now. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Oh, she agrees. She agrees. But let me tell you something. It's, it's the people that has a, the people that have a distorted view about authority are the ones that they do not like to bend to anybody's rule. And they don't like to submit to anybody's power. Oh, hallelujah. Now you know why I needed another hour to finish this up. But, but I mean, that's just the way it is. But you learn to respect people and treat people with respect. How many among us have many weaknesses? All of us. How many among us have multiplied strengths? All of us. The Holy Ghost is given to us to build each other up, to encourage each other. Praise God. You know, I'm just... Every time on Sunday morning, Sunday morning is a time it just, I go by the front door and I shake everybody's hand. I usually have four or five little kids around me. And then, then these girls, they start hugging me when they're little. And after a while they're up like this, some still come up and want to hug me. I think, now you're getting too old to be hugging me. You, you follow what I'm saying? And, and please, mom, if you see your daughter hugging me and she's too old, tell her. Call her aside and say, you're too old to be hugging Brother Grant. I understand that. In fact, I'm asking you to do that. You, you follow what I'm talking you know, you know why I'm saying this. But, but you know, I, I see so much appreciation and so much admiration. And, 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 and I try to have a kind word. And, and I pull their teeth when they're young and give them a dollar. And they go around with a snaggle tooth and they're just so happy. But you know what? We're all growing in this life. And we're growing up. And, and I saw our girls out there playing volleyball and, and, and just precious girls, good-looking girls with good attitudes and everything. They're going to grow up. They're going to have their own family. They're going to have their own kids out here. I love you people. 
I never want you to do it just simply because I say to do it. But because this is the Word of God. This principle fell from the lips of the greatest human being ever, Jesus Christ. He said, you treat everybody just like you'd like to be treated. In other words, before you make major decisions about your conduct toward anybody, check yourself and say, is this the way I would like to be treated? If I were in their shoes. Well, I want to go to something that's a little bit sensitive. But it, it really has a bearing on it. And that's, I talked about discipline and I talked about ethics. Now I want to talk about etiquette. You know what that is? That's just an accepted code of manners for our society. Now, let, let, me, let me point out something here. You know, since Sister Grant and I have been pastoring, we've had many, many, many people in our home. And some people come in very troubled. When our children were young, they never knew what it was like for us to have an empty home, just our family. And we did it because we cared. But I found this out, that some of the real troubled people, I mean, in trouble with the law, you know, all kinds of violations, spent time in jail and such. Uh, you will find that there, what I'm talking about here, there's always a lack of personal discipline. There was always a lack of ethics, and there's always a lack of proper etiquette. I've had to tell some of the, we've had some young men at our house. We had, we had a couple of, three, three young men at our house at one time. Sister Grant would cook the meal, and they'd come in just plop down, hats on, chewing gum. I didn't cover chewing gum then, I did it. You know, you never chew gum in a public place, you know. And you never go up and talk to anybody that's older than you with gum in your mouth. Now, the Bible is real great on respect for spiritual leaders and elders. I mean, it's, it's, it's red hot on this subject. I didn't write it. Hold it a minute. I didn't write it. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> and so we, we've tried, Sister Grant and I, through the years. Uh, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't say that we do everything according to who's the lady that wrote all the books on etiquette? Emily Post or Emily Post? I happen to have her book. As you can see, it's been a long time since I read it. But... Uh, <clears throat> We were taught, and, and the manners that we had were probably not Emily Post-correct, but uh, we were taught manners because of this. My mother said, now, whenever you go someplace, do things right, because the lady of the house has worked mighty, mighty hard to give you a lovely meal. I mean, it just starts that way. Now, the reason why you have to practice this when you're in a restaurant or someplace where you're paying for it and you don't know who cooked it is because you don't want this to be a habit. And I've known of times in which my wife would take off, go home, cook all afternoon, have everything. My, my wife likes to bring out the china and the crystal and the silver. And she likes to light a candle and turn the lights down. 
and and sometimes before the amen was said, there was stabbing and grabbing and chomping and smacking. You follow what I'm saying? And, and you know, within five minutes, everybody's licked their plates clean, dismissed themselves, and here she sits there. She's worked mighty, mighty hard for this. You know, food looks real good on a plate, but it looks terrible hanging out of somebody's mouth. You follow what I'm saying? You know, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. When I, I remember a young man we had, he reached over and he stabbed a big piece of fish, and, and it was marinating butter and herbs and everything. When he brought it back across, it was about two-thirds of the whole meal, and he brought it back across and it was going to fall. He just opened his mouth and it just slid down. He said, my sister Grant, this is really good. One night, Sister Grant stopped them all and said, hold it just a minute. And she said, you three are grown men. I don't try to figure out what three we had in our house. It's saying, I raised three boys, and I'm not starting over. Really? And we'd be talking, if they want to talk, just butt in. Now, I got this thing about call waiting. You know? Now, you may have it, and you may have it for business reasons, but see, I don't have call waiting. People say, Brother Grant, I tried for an hour to get a hold of you, and I couldn't get a hold of you. You need call waiting. No, you shouldn't be butting in. <clears throat> Would you like to butt in, wouldn't you? You follow what I'm saying? But but so so we we've had our our share of this but but, but really now when you think about it, you think about how inconsiderate it is of the lady of the house or whoever the the people that you that you go to just you know grabbing and diving and this type of thing and let me just point out something else too okay now this is where we're getting down to the nitty gritty because we go out to restaurants and you take little children along first thing that happens is. You tell the waitress, could you get some food and bring it out here because our kids are restless. Now, you're not going to like this, but you know why they're restless? Because you let them start gobbling down food as soon as they hit the table before the meal officially starts. They learn that at home. Now, I'm smart enough to know what they do at the house. I'm smart enough to know, too, that if your child's crying, you take your child out and your child stops. You come back in and he cries. I'm smart enough to know what's happening. Now, whenever I see a dad that just has to get up and go out, and the child starts crying, because he knows what going out means. Now, you may say, what bearing does this have, Brother Grant, on the fear of God? Because, you see, after a while, you don't respect anybody or anything. I love mealtime. But I like a nice, quiet meal where you can talk. <clears throat> 
You know, and people sometimes talk with stuff in their mouth going, I want to say, look, I've got plenty of time. If you want to eat your food, I'll listen later. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's disrespectful. This is the reason why. When we had to wash our hands, comb our hair, go in and sit down, and when you ask for something, and you know, we pass the food around, always pass the food around, you wait till it gets there. If for some reason it doesn't come, it's okay to ask. You never take the last piece of chicken off the plate. I'm, I'm serious with you. Now, that was a no-no. You just didn't do that. When you're down to the last piece of chicken or the last anything, meatloaf or whatever, the lady of the house would always say, we got one piece of chicken left. Would somebody like this? Or perhaps we should cut it in two or three pieces. Maybe several of you would like some more. And she served that. You say, oh, Brother Grant. Okay. Walk out of this place and go downtown someplace and go into public schools and see if they fear man or God. My friend, they don't. And you can say whatever you want to, but that is the absolute truth. And this is why in the Bible, when it talks about fearing God, it always talks about your fellow man, and it always talks about the commandments of God. A person who lacks personal discipline will fall short of following the commandments of God. A person who does not have ethics, he doesn't know how to treat his fellow man, will be in constant trouble. And when he leaves, you know what he always says when people leave and they can't get along with people? Yeah, bunch of hypocrites over there. Yeah, they don't know how to laugh. Well, let me tell you something. You listen to me. You listen to me very carefully. I've traveled in many, many countries, and I've preached to many congregations. If there's anybody that says Calvary Gospel Church is full of hypocrites, you'd better run from them as fast as you can. Don't you hang around some nasty-spirited person like that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Because it is not true. You may say, oh, but they had a bad experience with a pastor. I've had bad experiences with myself, too. <laughs> or I had a bad experience with a pastor's wife. I have, too. <laughs> but I'm still here, my friend. And I'm going to be here. Why? Because I love you. And I love God. Because I respect you. And I respect God. Where are you going to find a fellowship like this? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We want all of you to stand, if you would. My, praise God. I don't know how long I've preached here. But let me tell you something. You see, all of the break, these things that I've talked about, when there is a breakdown, there becomes a bad attitude. Do you know what Matthew 5 is all about? deals with the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever heard of the Beatitudes? Do you know what Beatitudes really means? It means attitudes you are to be. 
Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Huh. Isn't that something? Let me tell you something. There is, we always interpret God's law and the seriousness of God relative to His law on the plane in which we're living. If we live in the flesh, we won't be serious about it. If we live in the Spirit, we'll be serious about it. Undisciplined people have a hard time being serious about anything like this. People who do not respect, show proper etiquette and such. Now you, listen to me. What I have told you tonight, without exception, the situation that I've called your attention, every person has had problems living for God. Without exception. Now, I've seen people that didn't do everything right, but had tremendous respect. I've seen people that didn't know what was right or wrong, that had tremendous respect. You follow what I'm saying? But you see, that type of person is pliable and teachable. They're willing to shape up their attitude. So tonight, I have actually poured my heart out to you about discipline and the fear of God. If I had the job of traveling from city to city, from high school to high school, from school board to school board, to teach people how to fear God, I would start with, number one, personal discipline. That's where it starts. Number two, I would teach them proper ethics. And number three, I would teach them proper manners. If you cut in front of someone, excuse yourself. If you have to leave the table, excuse yourself. In other words, just start showing respect for everybody and everything. And see if deep down inside your attitude toward your maker doesn't change. I guarantee you will. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, I dare you to try it. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Oh, God. My Lord, my Lord.
Oh, God of heaven, Lord. You see, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying that everything that was practiced by me and my family as I grew up is the right way or even the only way. I'm not saying that. And I'm not even suggesting that you go into your house and set up some things in an old-fashioned way like I explained tonight. But I think there has to be order. There has to be discipline. You see, if there's not respect for God's house, when you come, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have your mind on other things when you worship. Does that have any bearing on your relationship with God? Sure it does. If you don't respect God's house enough to get your mind on God, you're going to be thinking about pizza and pizza hut. You won't think about praying at the altar. Isn't that right? After a while, then it's a matter of come to church when I want to and don't come when I want to. That's what happens to you, you see. Then after that, you don't take correction well. Don't take it at all. Don't take teaching at all. Then there's a loss of respect for spiritual leaders. Ultimately, you don't fear God. In other words, life falls apart. It's all in the book. It's right here. I want to do thy will, O Lord. Let's sing that. I don't know what the praise singers are going to sing, but I just feel that I want to sing this. I want to do thy will, O Lord.